What's up, Fuse? Happy Wednesday night. We are just a week away from Thanksgiving. Uh, My name's Clayton King, one of the pastors here at New Spring Church, and I get the honor to preach tonight for all of our few students across the state of South Carolina. You can't touch your neighbor, but you can turn and look at your neighbor, and you can say through your mask, you better get ready. Go ahead and do that right now. Don't touch them, just look at them and say, you better get ready, because Clayton's gonna preach for 20 minutes. Just say that to him right now, 20 minutes. All right, let me start off by letting you know what happened to me one time on I-85 going to Charlotte, North Carolina. So in my uh, early years as a young man, I had a cool car. When I was in high school, I bought it with my own money. I bought a 1979 black Chevy Camaro with a 350. If you don't know what a 350 is, It was a big engine. The car went really fast. The car was a money pit. It got three miles to a gallon. But I felt really good about driving this car. And I had a cool car back then. I have a cool car now because I'm 47. I'm a dad. I have a truck. I have a black 2017 Ford F-250 truck. It's a really nice truck. But in the middle of those two cool cars, the 79 muscle car, the the Camaro, and the 2017 black Ford F-250, I went through a series in my life, a season in my life that I'm not proud of. It's a season where I owned a minivan. That is not a testimony. That is a confession. I'm not proud of it, but I own it because it was my story. And I bought a minivan because my wife kept having babies. They were my babies. They are still my babies. One of them is sitting right here on the front row at the Anderson campus. His name is Jacob King. My other son's name is Jojo. So we bought a minivan because it was the easiest way for us to be a family at the time. We are going at this point in time where my story takes place, we're going to a place in Charlotte called Carowinds. Back before COVID, it was a lot of fun to go to places like Carowinds where you could ride a roller coaster when it was 112 degrees and throw up on other people. And so we're on our way to Carowinds on I-85 when I got pulled over by a state trooper. The state trooper turns on the blue light. I pull over, he comes up to the window. I knew what was wrong. I was speeding. I was going 87 miles an hour in a 55 mile per hour zone. It was totally my fault. I was a wicked, horrible sinner at the moment. I rolled down the window. I gave him my license and registration. And when he pulled me over and he said to me the classic question that a police officer asks somebody when they pull them over, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, I was going really fast, like light speed fast. And he said, why are you in such a hurry? I said, I'm going to Carowinds. I'm running late. He goes, well, you know I need to give you a ticket. And here's the question I ask him that's gonna open up this message tonight as we talk about heaven and hell and as we talk about everybody living forever somewhere. The police officer said to me, I need to write you a ticket. And I wanted to argue with him. And I said, but that's not fair because everybody around me was speeding too. There must have been 12 other people going the exact same speed I was going, and I'll never forget what the state trooper said. I'm not God, I can't keep up with everybody. I wanna pause that story 
And I want to jump into this message and this passage of Scripture because I want you to know that the reason we have law enforcement is because we were wired to live in a world with justice. And there is no officer or politician or school teacher or coach that can keep up with everybody, but God can and God does. God has the ability to see everything that you do and everything that I do. God has the ability to not only know the sins that we commit, but he also has the ability to forgive us of those sins And I want to help you understand tonight as I read some scripture from Luke chapter 16, this important truth, everybody lives forever. Everybody lives forever. It's just a question of where. You will live forever somewhere. And I'll give you a little side note. Forever has already started. You're going to live forever, somewhere. Now pay attention to this passage of scripture that I'm about to read to you. At every campus, I want you to lean into this because this is not Clayton speaking. This is not Pastor Brad or Pastor Caleb or or, or Dan or Meredith. This is not a guest speaker. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who wants to help us understand the nature of eternity, specifically heaven, and hell, because there are only two places that you can spend eternity, either in heaven with Jesus or in hell, separated from Jesus forever. And in Luke 19, 16, verses 19 and following, Jesus tells us a story about two men. One man has no name, he has tons of money, but no name. The other guy has a name, but he's poor. These men are called the rich man and Lazarus. Let me read this to you. It's gonna be up on the screens. But if you have a Bible and you wanna follow along, I'd encourage you to do that as well. Here's what the Bible says, Jesus speaking these exact words. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. Jesus is really painting a picture of how well-off, wealthy, and rich this man is. Only rich people could wear purple. Only rich people wore fine linen. Only rich people could feast like this man. But then he, he compares it to a guy in verse 20. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. So you got a rich man who lives inside a gated community. A rich man who has so much money that he can literally build a walled fortress to keep people out. But then there's a a poor man who is so poor that he can't afford a place to live and he's outside the gate. His body's covered with sores, so he's dirty. He's diseased. He's probably at the point of death. And it says in verse 21, this poor man longed to be filled with what fell off the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. Now Jesus is telling a story that to us sounds disgusting, but he's doing it for our own good because he's trying to drive home a point. Verse 22, one day 
The poor man died. Now watch how their fortunes are reversed the minute they die. Because in this life, the rich man's got it made. He's got money, he's got friends, he's got a mansion, he lives behind a gate, he's got servants who do what he wants, all the food he could eat, all the wine he could drink, he's got servants he can boss around, he's used to getting his way, and you got a guy named Lazarus who is so poor, other people have to bring him and lay him down on the ground outside the gate, but then they die. And when they die, there are some surprises. Jesus is telling us exactly what happens when they die. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Now in Jewish custom, Abraham's side was heaven. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel and so he was in heaven and Abraham's side was a symbolic way of saying heaven. So when the poor man dies, God sends angels to get him, to carry him into eternity But it's not just the poor man who dies. It also says that the rich man died and was buried. No angels coming to get him. He doesn't go to Abraham's side. He's buried in the ground. And being in torment, don't skip over that word. It's an uncomfortable word. It's an awkward word, but when he dies, he is immediately in torment in a a place called Hades. That's simply a Greek word for hell. So can I pause right here? A good pastor tells you what you need to hear, not just what you wanna hear. I wanna be a good pastor because I've gotta stand before God one day and I've gotta give an account for what I teach you. I've gotta give an account for how I raised that young man right there and his brother. I've got to give an account for how I handle my life, both my doctrine, my theology, and my personal and my private life. And I want to stand before God, and I want him to know that I told you the truth. If Jesus talked about hell, we better pay attention. Because Jesus isn't making up fairy tales just for the fun of it. So the rich man dies, and he now is in a terrible, tormenting place called hell, or Hades. And it says he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Okay, so pay attention. The rich man in hell can see what's going on in heaven. He's aware that he's not there. So he sees Lazarus and Lazarus is is by Abraham's side. And he looks up and he sees them and he called out, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Notice that the rich man is still too arrogant to speak to Lazarus. He tries to make Abraham send Lazarus. Also notice he's in terrible pain. There is a flame in hell. This is not the only time that Jesus describes hell like this. But for the sake of time, let me move to the best part, the most important part of the story, because Abraham responds to the rich man. Verse uh, 25, son, Abraham said, remember that during your life, you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now, He's comforted here. 
while you're in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there, there in hell, cross over to us, us in heaven. What does that say? Well, it says that once you're in eternity, you're in eternity forever. Wherever you live, that's where you're gonna live forever. When you die, like the rich man and like Lazarus, you will immediately, Hebrews says, it is appointed unto us to die and then to face judgment. Now, you need to be very attentive to this because Jesus is trying to drive home a point. Once you are in heaven, you can't leave. You wouldn't want to because it's perfect. There is no crying, no depression, no anxiety, no COVID, no masks. When you get to heaven, there is no school. There, there, there is no, no rainy days. It's just beauty. It's, it's bliss. It's all the greatest things in the world. But once you go to hell, torment, pain, regret, memories of the life that you lived on earth, but I wanna show you one final thing. It says in verse 27, the rich man continues to argue with Abraham. Father, he said, then I beg you, send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. So in hell, we will have full awareness and memory of what we left on earth the people that we love, the people that we knew, the people that we cared about. But Abraham said, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will, and here's the word, repent. Do you notice that the rich man is not repenting? The rich man is not saying, I'm sorry for my sin. The rich man is arguing with Abraham. The rich man is bossing people around. Here's the point about the rich man who dies and goes to hell. The way we live on this earth completely predicts where we will spend eternity. The, mo the motive of our heart and the posture of our soul, whether it is God-centered and oriented toward Christ or me-centered and oriented toward myself, who I am in this life is who I will be in the next. And here's the last verse. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. You know what's ironic about this story before I make a, a couple of points? It's ironic about this story that, that Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and another guy named Lazarus, and then at the end of it, in the parable, Abraham says to the rich man, even if somebody rose from the dead, they wouldn't believe the gospel if they warned them. And then in John chapter 11, Jesus actually raises a man from the dead. It was his best friend. He had a sister named Martha and a sister named Mary, and they lived in Bethany, and the man's name was Lazarus. And in John chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says that so many Jews were putting their faith in Jesus because Lazarus was telling them about his resurrection from the dead that the Pharisees tried to kill Lazarus because they didn't want people following Jesus. 
Now, what does this story tell you and what does this story tell me about eternity? Well, first of all, it tells us this. Jesus loves us enough to warn us of the coming judgment. This is not mean. This is not hurtful. This is not uh, mean-spirited. This is the most kind loving thing Jesus could do. How much would I, I was talking to Jacob today, I was running my sermon by my son, and uh, I use this example. How much would I have to hate y'all? How much would Caleb have to hate y'all? How much would your fuse pastor and your adult volunteers have to hate your guts if we all knew that tonight, as soon as the door is open and you walked in the room where you're in right now, if we knew that under every chair was a poisonous rattlesnake that would bite you and kill you and we didn't warn you and tell you about it? How evil would we be? How wicked would we be if we did not warn you, don't go in that room, you will die? That is what Jesus is doing. He is warning us do not go into eternity unprepared. There's something else we see here. Success, fame, money, and your family will not save you. None of that saves you because the rich man who has no name has a family. He's got five brothers and a father. He mentions them. He also has tons of, of cash. He can afford purple garments. He can afford fine food. He's got success and achievement. A big house with a gate. He lives in the nicest community in town and none of that got him into heaven. As a matter of fact, it sent him to hell. What does it profit a man? Jesus said this in Mark chapter eight, verse 34. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman if they gain the whole world but they lose their own soul? And then Jesus tells a story about a man who actually did lose his soul, and he had the whole world. So your mom and dad may be Christians. That doesn't make you a Christian. Your grandfather may have been a pastor. That doesn't mean that you follow Jesus. Maybe you were raised in church your whole life. Doesn't mean that you know Jesus. It just means that you know church. Maybe you've gone to Gauntlet every single year until we had to cancel it. That doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You could have prayed prayers, just you know, a, a prayer before a meal a prayer before you go to bed at night, a blessing before you eat Thanksgiving lunch. None of those things save us. The thing that saves us is repentance of sin. sin listen, guys, we're serious as a church. Brad said it a few weeks ago. I'm gonna say it right now. We are serious about eternity. We're serious about the Bible. We're serious about Jesus. And as much as I want you to be encouraged and uplifted, and as much as I want you to walk in the favor of God, it doesn't mean a thing if you have never repented of your sin and you die and go to hell and you lose it all. And I wanna go on record and tell you, I believe in hell because Jesus believed in hell. And if Jesus taught about hell, I'm banking on the fact that it's real, but I'm not going because I put my faith in Jesus, not fame, not money, not success, not my family. But before we close, let me tell you something that we learned from this passage. Uh, you have the freedom to choose Jesus now while you're alive, but you cannot choose him after you die. That's the point that Jesus is making here. The rich man had the opportunity when he was alive, but he was too busy. He was too distracted. He had his mind on other things. You know the good news for you and me tonight? Um, you're still breathing. You're alive. 
Right now in Charleston, you're alive. Right now in Columbia, you're alive. Greenville, you're alive. Myrtle Beach, you're alive. Greenwood, you're alive. Hilton Head, Rock Hill, you are alive. Powdersville, Clemson, Spartanburg, you're alive. You're alive right here in this room in Anderson. So if you still have breath in your lungs, you can choose Jesus right now. I'm begging you, do not wait until it's too late. Because if you wait until you're dead, you can't repent. You can't. Because if you didn't want Jesus in this world right now, why would you wanna be forced to live in heaven with him forever? This is one of, the biggest, one of the biggest points of contention that people have when they ask me as a, as a pastor and an evangelist for 35 years, Clayton, do you really believe in hell? Do you really believe in hell? How, how could there be a hell? And I always ask him this question. So, so you think that Jesus should just let Hitler go to heaven? He killed six million Jews, tried to exterminate an entire race of people. You think he should just let him go to heaven? Well, I just think that God loves everybody. Yes, God does love everybody. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place to take away the guilt of our sin, to make a way for us to repent and turn around. You wanna, you, let me tell you what is really, really hard to believe in. A God who would force people who didn't wanna follow Jesus in this life of their own free will to have to worship Jesus forever in eternity when that's not what they wanted to do in the first place. Think about that. That's why I'm driving home the point. Don't make the mistake the rich man made. Don't wait until you're dead. You're alive right now. You can choose. You can choose to follow Jesus now, but, but once your eyes are closed in this life and you open them into eternity, you are already living a life now that will carry on forever somewhere. Eternity doesn't begin when you die. You're living eternity right now. The same exact you, listen to me, the same exact you that's sitting in that seat listening to me preach right now is the same exact you that will transition into eternity and live forever somewhere. Same soul, same identity, same person. So the life you're living right now, that life will continue on forever, somewhere. And you get to choose where. And you get to choose by repenting. A lot of you have already done that. I did it when I was 14. I did it in a little Pentecostal church in Greer, South Carolina. Eighth grader. Went there to try to make out with a girl on the back of the church bus. Literally, the reason I went that night, I did not make out with Barbara McCall. That was her name. Not now. She's married to some other guy. I did not make out with her that night, but Jesus saved my soul and he rescued me from hell that night because in that moment, I chose to repent and turn from my sin. I believe that Jesus is speaking to somebody right now and as much as I believe that Jesus wants to save you, it is imperative I tell you, you have to choose to open your heart. You have to choose to repent. You have to choose to believe that this is true and that this is real and that you would be willing to forsake everything else in this life, popularity, your friends, money, achievement, success, 
dreams for the future, that you would lay it all down to follow a man named Jesus who loved you and laid his life down for you and didn't just say I love you, but he proved it when he shed his blood from his hands and his feet and his side and a crown of thorns on his head. When you realize that someone loved you that much, you won't give your life to him just to escape hell. That's a benefit, but you'll give your life to him because you're so arrested by that kind of radical love. Nobody's ever loved you like that. Nobody's ever cared for you like that. Nobody's ever given you a gift like that. And that just does something to a person's soul. And if that does something to your soul, then the right move for you is to just say, yes, Jesus, I want you. Come into my life and save me. And listen to me, every one of you, before I pray with you, I want you to know, I believe this with all of my heart. I have staked my life on it. I have staked my eternity on it. And I want you to know the kind of peace that can come when you open up your heart to Jesus. So pray with me right now. I want you to close your eyes across every campus. I want you to open your hearts. A lot of you have already done this Probably most of you have already repented of your sin, but I know somebody right now is under conviction and I'm gonna tell you exactly what you need to do. You need to go with what you're feeling in your heart right now. If you don't know you're going to heaven, you can know it right now. First John 3 says, I write these things to those of you that believe that you might know you have eternal life. So if you wanna nail down your salvation and if you wanna know where you're gonna go, forever somewhere, if you want it to be heaven, but more than that, you want it to be Jesus. Pray this to him right now. Do not let Satan steal this away from you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you to Jesus. Just pray this in your heart to him right now. Jesus, I believe in you. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry. I can't believe how much you love me, but I trust that it's true. I believe you're alive, Jesus. So I invite you into my heart. Come on in, Jesus, right now. Save me. Rescue me from hell. I am all yours. All of me belongs to you. And I will follow you by your grace forever. Now keep your eyes closed, keep your hearts open. Before anybody looks around or before you go into your groups, I'm gonna ask one question. I'm not gonna make you stand up and nobody's gonna come forward tonight, but I believe that when someone prays to receive Christ, it is imperative that they do something immediately to identify it. So with your eyes closed, but your hearts open, I'm gonna ask every single one of our Fuse campuses right now, if you just prayed to receive Christ by faith, for salvation. You just prayed that prayer. Raise your hand straight up above your head. Nobody's gonna really see this but Jesus. Raise your hand up right now and keep it up. I'm gonna ask you to keep it up for a solid five or six seconds. Just raise them up. Every single campus right now. Raise them up. Keep them up. I'm counting in this room. Keep them up. All right, then you can put your hands down. Everybody look at me for a moment before I pray. I have no idea what happened at all the other campuses, but in this room, six students just prayed to receive Christ right here. And now they are rescued, you are rescued. 
So if you are one of many that just prayed to receive Jesus, after I say amen to this prayer, I'm gonna turn it over to somebody at your campus. And when you break into your groups in a little bit, the first thing I want you to do, the first thing I want you to do is say, guys, I prayed to receive Christ. I repented of my sins. I got saved. That's the first thing I want you to do when you get into your group. Let someone know that you just gave your life to Jesus. Now you know where you're gonna live forever, somewhere. It's heaven. Father, thank you for the ones that you have just saved tonight. Jesus, thank you that you have received the reward of your suffering. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have lifted Jesus and drawn people to him and made a big deal out of the gospel. Satan, you've lost another number to the kingdom of God. You'll never get them back. They've been bought with a price. They belong to Jesus now. And we celebrate the fact that there will be more people in heaven and fewer people in hell because of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.